please turn in your Bibles to, uh, well, let's put it this way. We're going to start 1 Corinthians 6, 13b. We finished this text last uh, time I was with you. We're getting ready to move into chapter 7. But if you'll read there, it says, Now concerning things which you wrote about, now we will deal with what the Corinthians wanted to hear from the Apostle Paul. That's not what I'm dealing with today. Okay, well, you're all turning there. I'll, I'll share with you. Someone asked me, what was the greatest point of being in Israel? And I'll share this one with you, and then we'll jump into our text. If you look at Jerusalem, it is surrounded by two valleys, one on the east, which is the Kidron Valley, one on the west, which is the Valley of Hinnom or Gehenna. Uh, the Valley of Gehenna was the dump for the city of David. It was also the dump for Jerusalem. Uh, also, when the children of Israel decided to worship Moloch and offer their children as living sacrifices, uh, killing them, offering their children as a sacrifice to Moloch, they would throw the bodies into the Valley of Hinnom. Therefore, when you see Jesus teaching on Gehenna, everyone in Jerusalem knew exactly what he was talking about. The place where the worms would eat, that would be the dump and the fire would burn and, and, and so, so on and so forth. That still exists, but up in the corner of the Valley of Hinnom now is an amphitheater similar to uh, some of the amphitheaters that you'd see around, uh, more like the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles. It's a man-made amphitheater. It's not like a... So anyway, the group that I was with went over to Caiaphas' palace. Uh, and me and one of the doctor, Dr. Uh, Beely, decided we would walk. And so we walked through all the gates and we come out of the, uh, which would be the western side of the old city of Jerusalem. We start down the hill and I start hearing music. Okay? And it's weird because, you know, it's just weird. Because I was hearing the Hallelujah Chorus. And I'm sort of into this, you know, I'm... You know, you're, you're in Jerusalem, you're expecting spiritual, but that's not exactly what I was expecting. So as we moved on down to into the Valley of Hinnom, it got louder and louder. And as we came across a little walkway and we could look back up in there, there's an orchestra playing uh, the Hallelujah course. So I asked the professor, who is that? He says, that's the Israeli National uh, Orchestra playing the Hallelujah course. And so I sat there for a few minutes, and Dr. Billy looked at me, and I started snickering. And he said, uh, what's so funny? I said, you know, I was expecting something spiritual in Israel, but I did not expect to stand in hell and hear the Israeli orchestra playing the Hallelujah Chorus. And we made our way on up to Caiaphas's. Let's look at our text. I just want to look at the end of verse 13. Okay? Yet the body is not for immorality... But for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Father, if you would please open your word into my brothers and my sisters, and Father, give me clarity. Father, may they hear you. May they hear what you are saying. Father, this uh, I neglected, and I beg your forgiveness. And yet, Father, even now I know it is only in your perfect planning. And I ask now, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our souls that we may hear what is said from you. Father, may your spirit move in such a way that all men will know. Father, may we walk from this place with the focus that you have given from this text and from your word. In Christ's name, amen. I dealt with this text a few weeks ago. 
on the body is not for immorality, but is for the Lord. And I covered that pretty good. And Willie brought to my attention, what about the Lord is for the body? And I told Willie, why don't you read your own Bible? Um, But God used that man in my life to show me that I need to deal with this. And so this is what I was dealing with while I was traveling. Um, I was gone for a few days in Los Angeles and then from Los Angeles to Israel and back. And, and I, I did want to deal with this, and I do want to deal with this because when I thought about what Willie had said, when I think about what I see in the body of Christ, what I see in Christians, um, yeah, I need to deal with this. What does it mean when Paul tells us that the Lord is for the body? I mean, I can understand, let's present myself as a living sacrifice, holy and pure, and this is my act of worship, and I'm going to lay myself down. Here I am, Jesus. I am an earthen vessel, clay pot, with a precious treasure inside, he writes in Corinthians. I understand that. But what does it mean that the Lord is for the body? I pray that God will show this to us today. If you look in your outline, I called this message the counterculture. And the reason that I say that is I witnessed people who had a zeal for the things of God that would stagger you. And yet the God they were serving is their own. They've made him. They've created him themselves. I've never seen anything like it. Um, I was there on a high holy day, uh, the holiday of Purim. uh, And I got to go to the praying, to the wailing wall that you've seen on the, the news. And to watch what I saw going on there was staggering to me. Men tearing, literally tearing their clothes and weeping. And I don't know what they were saying, but I did not hear the word Adonai. And they were begging and they were beseeching and weeping and crying and confessing. Adonai, Adonai, Adonai. And I thought, would only the church have that passion for the true and living God? And yet I see this passion that they had for a false God. I want to take you to a text. I want to lay a, a, a picture of the culture. All right, Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 19. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it says here that Jacob departed from Bethshira, went down toward Haran. He had come to a certain place. He spent the night there because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones and placed it under his head. He laid down in that place. Now, I was at this place, and there are rocks everywhere. Um, he didn't have to look far for a rock, but I thought, how interesting. And it says he had a dream, no doubt, because I doubt if he had a restful sleep. And behold, a ladder. We've all heard this story. Isn't there a song about this? We're climbing Jacob's ladder or something like that. All right. Um, and he, he had a, behold, a ladder was set on the earth and it was reaching to the heavens. Behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac and the land on which you lie. I will give it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in you and in your descendants shall be the families of the all the earth, families of the earth will be blessed behold i am with you and i will keep you whatever you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land and i will not leave you until i have done what i have promised you period stop right there he falls asleep this is a a man of the promise. He's already got his promise from Isaac. All right? The blessings of the family are going to him. God has already promised that he was going to get it. He's reasserting that promise right now. Right now, he says, you are getting it. This is the God. I stand in heaven. I show you a ladder of the 
the angelic host moving back and forth. This is how I want you to understand my promise. This is not a fool. This is a man who has seen the work of God. This is a man who's third generation out from Abraham. Look what he says in verse 16. And Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And look at those horrifying words that are next. And I did not know it. Turn with me to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. We all know this one. We've used it before. We've heard it preached before. We like this verse. We think it's great when we're ministering to other people. And it says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. That's evil number one. The fountain of living waters. What did they do? They hewed for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold no water. I've seen some of these cisterns. Actually, I got tired of seeing cisterns. And everything I noticed in the land of Israel is hewn. Okay? That is the most desolate piece of real estate I've ever seen in my life. Everything you're going to do, if you're going to dig down below, half an inch below the surface, you're going to hit bedrock and you had better get ready to start doing some serious hewning, hewing or whatever you call it. Okay? Why would a person refuse water out of a tap so they could go labor with an axe and dig into limestone so they could dig a, a bowl that would hold water? Very simple. They do not know God is in this place. You know what? I got the privilege, I think, and I was just kidding about hearing the Hallelujah Chorus in hell. Um, I got the privilege to pray for every one of you in this church by name. Once on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, once on Mount Arabella, which is, I believe, where Jesus gave the Great Commission and ascended into the heavens, and once at the southwest corner of the Temple Mount. I got to pray for every one of you by name. No greater privilege can I think of. No greater thing touched me than, than that to do that for every one of you. And you know what? As I went through my, my, my names and all of it, there are some of you who are oh so diligently trying to dig your own sister. And bless your heart, you're, you're working hard. And yet you've rejected what has been given already. The reason that I share this with you in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this statement is made. Verses, verse 6 says, These things happened as examples to us so that we would not crave evil things as they craved. What was that? What happened? We were all baptized in, a, in Moses in a cloud and in a sea. We ate the same spiritual food. We all They all drank, speaking of the nation of Israel, and they all drank the same spiritual rock, for they were drinking of a spiritual rock which followed them, and that was the rock of Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. They were left in the wilderness, to use Jeremiah's picture, <coughs> to dig their own pots of water. Look what he says on down in verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example 
and they are written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the age will come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Why do we do the same thing? Why? Why do we do the same thing? Because that is your culture, brothers and sisters. That is what you have been taught to do. Some of you have been raised in the church. Some of you have been Christians longer than I am old. Well, maybe not. Some of you might be. And yet I see so many doing the same thing. Digging a cistern. Striving. Why? It's your culture. And yet the Corinthians warned you. Don't do what the Jews did. I grew up in the counterculture. Sorry. Um, I'd like to say that I chose that, but it wasn't my choice. It was just where I ended up. Um, and I was, uh, I guess if you, I was rebellious. I, I've been seeing a lot of stuff. I hear the conflict between the war in Iraq and Vietnam. Uh, I, I remember the Vietnam War. I remember what was going on there. I remember the protests. I come from Ohio. Okay. Ohio has a state university that everybody in here probably knows. Kent State. Uh, I know who the governor was who called the National Guard out. I remember all that. I was uh, um, not saved then. And I remember that. I was counterculture. I was against authority. I was against uh, society. I was against government. And I lived that way. Why? It was counterculture. It's just cool. I'm going to be counterculture. Let me show you counterculture. Luke chapter 3. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ had a ministry that lasted but three years. Did you know that? Okay, do you know what he did before that? Carpenter. He's a carpenter. For almost 30 years, he was a carpenter. Actually, if you probably take probably 22 years, he was a carpenter. So his preaching ministry was very short. Okay, in, Gen or in Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, and Herod, the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was the tetrarch of the regions of Etera, Tarconus, Laestia, and tetrarch of Abilene, and in the high priesthood of Ananias, Annas, and Caiaphas, and the word of God came to, Z to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness... I've seen the wilderness. Nasty place. Understatement. All right? John was hanging out in the wilderness. Okay? And it became very clear to me why he was eating bugs. That's it. I mean, that is it. It's bugs or dirt. Which one do you want? And he came into the district around the Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sin. Okay, as it is written in the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Have you ever heard Handel's Messiah? There's a song there that one of the songs in that is based on this, this text out of Isaiah. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled. Every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough road smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. We were driving up this hill out of Jericho towards Jerusalem and I know what this is. This is valleys and this is ravines. They call them wadis or nahals. 
nasty pits and ditches. And he is saying that Isaiah is prophesying the second coming of Jesus Christ, that that will be made low. It will be made level. Why? He's coming back. And when he comes back, and we were listening to a tape in in the bus of, guess what? Handel's Messiah. Guess what song was playing? Was Jippin' Jehoshaphat. And you just look across this and you say, Lord is going to level this. Jericho, do you realize that Jericho is almost nine or not? Yeah, 900 feet below sea level and that Jerusalem is almost 3000 feet above sea level. And it says when Jesus went up from Jericho to Jerusalem, he literally went up. And yet Isaiah says that will all be made flat. That's cool. Why? Here's a man of counterculture. He began saying to the crowds. Now listen, these people had a trek to come out of Jerusalem to listen to this man dra- dressed in a camel hair coat who eaten bugs. They, now it wasn't been so bad going down to see him, but you did have to go back home. And home was going to be up. Here's what he said. <clears throat> who... <clears throat> These were people who were going out to be baptized to him. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Now let me ask you a question. How many pulpits do you suppose that is preached this morning? Well, that would kind of offend somebody, wouldn't it? No, snake, who warned you that wrath is coming? Read on. Therefore bear fruit, keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we are Abraham, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, from these stones, God is able to raise up the children of Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, so that every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. You know what he just said there? He says, let me explain something to you. I don't care about your religiosity. You are destined for hell in the condition that you are in. You are a sinner. You are separated from God. And God thinks you're an abomination to His holiness. That's counterculture, brothers and sisters. That's counterculture. Not only that, He uses that R word. Repent. But he goes beyond repentance. See, I've dealt with some situations in the past where people get caught and they are very remorseful. But they don't repent because he says, bear fruit of repentance. That's counterculture. That's absolutely counterculture. The culture doesn't understand it. He says, I want you to move away from that thing and I want you to move towards that thing. And when you're moving towards that, it will be evident to all men and women It isn't well, I think. No, it isn't. The people who claim the name of Christ today, a bulk of them are going to be horrified when they see him face to face because he's going to tell them, away from you, I don't know you. Why? They don't look any different than the world. Let me tell you something. When the Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus, when Jesus Christ called him, let me ask you a question. Did anybody see a difference in the Apostle Paul? What was the progression of that? There was no progression. He was going this way and God said go that way and he turned around and he went that way. He said God is in this place. He said I want cisterns. You're not a rock? No. I want rivers of living water. Living water. Now this is Jesus's favorite preacher 
Try to preach that sermon. Try to share that with a coworker. Yo, snake. Show fruit of repentance. I, you know what causes me the greatest heartache? Or you know what gets me in the most trouble, I should say? It's, it's, think about this. Think about the culture that you and I are in today. This is the one that causes me the greatest trials as a saint of God. Not as a pastor, as a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you saved and how do you know it? That is amazing that that statement can elevate blood pressure in the way that it does. How dare you question my salvation? Then show it to me. And yet I get into trouble for that one. Jesus says of John in Matthew eleven eleven, there is no greater man born of woman than John the Baptist. The crowds asked John, what shall we do? Verse 10. The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food do likewise. Some were tax collectors. They also came. This is sort of a depressing text for me. They also came to be baptized and says, Teacher, what shall we do? Collect no more than is than what you have been ordered to. I don't know. I kind of bummed out on that one. I prefer it to say, don't collect any, uh, but it didn't work that way. Some soldiers came, questioned him and said, what about us? What shall we do? He says to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. Look what happened when you have a man of God preaching the word of God in the power of God. Look at verse 15 says. Now, while the people were in a state of expectation, all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ. And John answered to them all, as for me, I baptize you with water. But one is coming who is mightier than I. And I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's good stuff. Why? These people he's calling snakes. These people he's saying, you be sacrificial in what you do. If you've got two, you give one away. If you've got food, you feed those who don't. If you have a job, you do your job and be content with what you're doing in the secular world, what you want to call it. He said, he's telling these very people, he says, not only that, I'm baptizing you into repentance and you need to take this baptism now and give works bearing with that baptism. Your life needs to show that it's changed. And it says then the people were in a state of expectation. State of expectation. Now then, I want to jump right into John chapter 10, 10. Okay, text we've all heard. Okay, this is the parable of the good shepherd. All right, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter, or he who does not enter by the way of the door of the fold of the sheep, but climbs up another way, is a thief and a robber. Okay, this is an amazing text because he's saying there's a whole bunch of people trying to get into the church, and they're trying to do it their way. I want to do it however I can do it. I want to do it as conveniently as I can. He says those are nothing but thieves and robbers. 
I, I kind of worship my way. You know, church is all right. It has a place. You know, that worship thing, the preacher's too long or he's too tall or he's too short or he's too... I don't think a preacher's ever been too short. But uh, we have all that. You know, I, I worship my... I do my own Bible studies. I kind of do my own thing. I, I pray in my own closet. Okay? He says, watch those. Why? Those are thieves and robbers. Why? What does the counterculture say? Show me fruit of repentance. Show me a life that has changed. Show me a heart that quakes before God. Show me a person who says, I know now that I'm in the presence of God. You know where I see that the most? When the body of believers is united in the power of the word. Why? Because there's a unity there that mankind seeks that can't be manufactured. And that is the greatest testimony of the living God. When I see people who are willing to sacrifice their time to hear the word preached, when I see people who are willing to bow, their, bow themselves to the study of the scriptures and to bow themselves that the scriptures may be their master instead of them mastering the scriptures. Out of that comes true worship. Out of that comes people who really take the ministry of reconciliation and they use it in such a way that lives are changed. They are turned upside down sometimes. Look what he says. This is the illustration that he gives. Then in verse 10, I want to deal with that because I want to jump right into the person. All right? The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. The people who are doing church their way. The pe- and, and listen, if I'm using church because I cannot separate church from Jesus from the word. Okay, you can say I love the word, you can say you love Jesus, but then how can you not love the church? It's impossible. It's impossible. Okay, so I use the word church, and that's the reason that I'm using it, but he says, I want you to know something. There are those who will come, and they will only steal, they will kill, and they will destroy. I see it on a daily basis. And he says, I have come. Okay. You got a red letter Bible? Mine ain't a letter. I, I colored mine red, though. Mine was one of them apostate Bibles, and I took a pink highlighter. And it's now a God-glorifying Bible. I came that they may have life. And they may have it abundantly. Let me ask you a question. You have abundant life? I used our text. I, I brought this out of First uh, Corinthians six thirteen, And the Lord is for the body. You want abundant life? That's what he said I came to do. I came and they may have life. And we all say, yes, I'm alive in Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Are you abundant? Come with me to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 16. You know what? I know people who have um, life abundantly. I do. Uh, I've seen them. I've experienced them. Okay, 
Look what it says in verse 16. This is an amazing letter. This is the conclusion of a letter. Uh, if you want to know about the rest of it, um, snooze you lose because I'm almost done teaching it and I've been teaching it longer than I've taught any letter to, of the scriptures. All right? What does he say? He's concluding this letter. He's saying goodbye to an amazing church. Chapter 1, he's dealing with a church that's being martyred for the sake of Christ. Chapter 2, he says, do not fear. Do not be shaken. Do not be in turmoil about what's going on because then he deals with the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ and the judgment that Jesus Christ will have. And then he moves into chapter 3, and he says, this is how I want you to pray for me as a pastor, because you're on the same level as me, because we are brothers and sisters in the king. And then he concludes it with this amazing statement. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. Stop right there. One of the things I've learned about my study of scriptures, every time he gets a bunch of emphatics, they usually just bum me out. Right, maybe you guys are made more spiritual than me, but when he gets them alls and every and uh, okay, because basically what he's doing is saying, let me explain something. There is no borderline on this. Okay, what does he say? May the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace. How often? In every circumstances. Okay, let's define peace, right? Okay, what is peace? We're going to sit here and think about peace. I seen a goofy t-shirt over in uh, Israel. Had uh, these cartoon characters, and they're all, uh, I mean, like, uh, the ones that you know, um, Daffy Duck and uh, Bugs Bunny, and, and they're all laughing. I mean, all these little cartoon characters, and they're all just rolling over laughing, tears coming out of their eyes and all the rest of it. Down at the bottom, it says, peace in the Middle East? <laughs> okay. When we think about peace, ask yourself a question. Do you think about a sense of calm? Now, 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 now be realistic. You might have to think now because I'm shifting into think time. Okay? How about tranquility? Okay? It's, it's tranquil. It's calming. Quietness. Contentment. Right? A well-being. A, a, a feeling uh, when everything is well. Everything is the way you like it to be. It's calm, right? Everything I just described to you can be done with a pill. It can be done with a nap. It can be done with a lie. It can be done with alcohol. It can be done with material gain. And that is not what Paul's talking about. Sorry. Okay, that is a worldly definition of peace. What is peace? And let's be realistic. I wrote in here in exclamation points, it is very shallow. The kind of peace that the world experiences, what I just gave you, this calmness, this tranquility, this quietness, contentment, this well-being, this feeling that it all is well, can be destroyed by failure, by doubt, by fear, by difficulty, by anxiety, by the love of something, violated relationships, it can be destroyed by guilt, it can be destroyed by shame, it can be destroyed by distress, by regret, it can be destroyed by sorrow, it can be destroyed by fear of being overpowered or defeated, it can be destroyed by being wrong, it can be destroyed by your bad decisions, it can be destroyed by someone else's bad decisions, it can be destroyed uh, by the anticipation of being mistreated, it can be destroyed by uh, being victimized, 
used. It can be destroyed by being used. It can be destroyed by being abused. It can be destroyed by things that are unknown to you. It can be destroyed by um, anger, pride, vengeance, any challenge to your place in life, to your position in life, or to your possessions in life. And yet, everything that I just listed to you is all part of daily life. And the Apostle Paul in 3.16 says, May the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. Yes! The Lord of peace grant you peace when? When? We missed a word. Continually. When does he grant you peace? In what circumstances? I'm going to call this, and as best I could come up with it as a word, I'm going to call this a spiritual peace. Here's how I define it. It's a deep down peace. It is an attitude of your heart, my heart, and my mind that calmly, confidently believes, confidently believes and knows that all is well between my soul and God. Peace. A confidence that says everything is absolutely all right. Right now. And a minute later, then two. This peace is divine. Why? Look what it says. May the Lord of peace himself. Now listen, I want you to understand where I'm at with this. You've got to grab this because it says, and the Lord is for the body. What is the greatest single attribute of a child of God, solely and wholly committed? Right there. Why? Because may the Lord of peace himself. What in the world does that mean? My God. That's what Paul's saying. My God personally give it to you because it personally comes from him. Peace. It's divine. If, if, if you use them deep theological people type words, it's an attribute of God. He is peace. You've heard it. God is love. He is peace. Listen, he has absolutely no lack of perfect peace in his being. Grab this. You've got to grab this. He is at all times absolutely at peace. God is. He is never stressed. He is never anxious. He is never worrying. He never doubts. He never fears. He is never in any way whatsoever at conflict with himself. And what I mean by that, um, can't make up his mind. Why? He's absolutely at peace. He is peace. He is never troubled. He is never unclear. He is never threatened. He is, uh, he, he is a perfect calm. He is perfect tranquility. He is perfect contentment. Why? He's in charge of everything. He can operate everything perfectly. And it is according to his own will and is exactly the way that he wants it to be. And it's only that way all the time. 
And it will only be that way just forever. There is nothing in creation that goes on that he doesn't know. There's nothing in creation that can withstand his purpose. Absolutely nothing. I've seen the valley of Megiddo where the armies of the world will gather to move forward to Jerusalem to fight Christ. Brilliant idea. Um, but it's a huge place. I mean, you just look at it and you start thinking about, well, I could, there's an uh, Israeli Air Force base in the middle of it and I could see F-16s taking off on a regular basis so I could sort of get a scale of how big this thing I was looking at. And I'm looking at, man, you can stick a ton bunch of tanks in that valley. I mean, more than you, gee, okay? And they're all going to go up and fight Christ. Uh, you know, we won't even get into that idea, but all right. But they actually go into that with a confidence. And yet, do you understand that God knows that purpose? Okay, and I thought about this too. Even his wrath is clear, it's calm, it's controlled, and it's confident. Here's some other things that I just wrote down. No possible sin can stain his holiness. Do you get that? No possible sin can stain his holiness. No sinner can appear before him who is beyond his grace. No threat in any way can cause him worry. He has no guilt in his mind. There's no shame in his mind. There's no regret in his mind. For he has never done anything, said anything, or thought anything that would in any way change what he enjoys in perfect eternal peace. Anybody here said something they regretted? Anybody here thought something they regretted? He's never done that. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, the Apostle Paul tells us, he is not the author of confusion, but of peace. You ever felt confused? I just live there. Okay? He's not the author of confusion. Why? Of peace. Anytime you see something that's confusing in your life, guess what just happened? The Lord is for the body. Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it says, The kingdom is peace in the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? It's divine. It is a representation of the attribute of God and the people of God. Here's why I say that. Because it's a gift. Psalm 85, verse 8 says... I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people and to his godly ones. Does God change? No. And he will do what? Speak peace. How powerful is that? Well, how did creation come to existence? All right, so if he speaks peace to his godly ones, what happens? They've got peace. All right. Well, but I've seen lost people. Well, let me show you something. Isaiah 57 takes about this. Isaiah 57, 19 and 20. Creating the praises of his lips. Peace, peace be to him who is far and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. Okay? I love that. To the Gentiles who would be far, 
Peace. To those who are near, peace. Guess what? But what about lost people? What about them? He says this, verse 20. The wicked are like tossing seas, for they cannot be quiet, and it's water tossed up refuse and mud. That is a picture of lost people this very day. They are striving from one decision, one disaster, one pile of refuse, one conglomeration of mud to the next, to the next, in search of tranquility, calmness, and it is all well. Look at us. How many have lost your jobs? How many are worried about a recession? How many are worried about a a terrorist attack? I'm not. Why? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Why? There's a peace in the relationship that my soul is well with my God. And he says, verse 20, to the wicked, they're like a tossing sea. And it's just, it's got that just frothing up. You just see it bounce around all over the place. Here's what Thomas Watson said about what you see lost people who seem to like have it all made. Okay? You've seen them. You know, well, I've got money and I've got this, I've got da 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 da. Here's what Watson says, and I quote The seeing the seeming peace a sinner has is not from the knowledge of his happiness, but ignorance of his danger. Unquote. True peace only comes from God. And a sinner doesn't know that. And so they will strive after whatever they can to give them peace. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says this, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I like that. Okay, because you know what? That's the only way it happens. In Psalm 88 or 85, 10, This is the only way this happens, and I'm not going to get into all of this. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Okay? (laughs) Loving kindness and truth have met together. I love This is just so cool. All right? Righteousness. Where would righteousness come from? Loving kindness. There you go. All right? Because it's a poetic text. If you look at it, you see the stack. All right? Loving kindness of God gives us His righteousness. All right? And it says, loving kindness and Peace have kissed each other. That's the psalm. You know what that means? Because of God's loving kindness and truth, I therefore righteousness and peace have kissed. Why? Where do I get peace from? Truth. Where do I get truth from? A right standing with God. Where do I get that from? His loving kindness. It's always... uh, you know, I, I, I was thinking about an illustration that I heard one time, and I don't remember who said it. He says, you can't suck health out of poison. Think about it. You can't suck health out of poison. You know why? You can't suck peace out of sin. It's a good illustration. But how many? Why would I go over and dig a cistern in limestone with an axe when God says, I have living water? Well, I think I can suck health out of poison. Okay? It's always available. Why? Uh, It can be interrupted. How is it interrupted? Remember that list? Fear, doubt, anxiety. 
Same thing that steals the peace of a lost person is the same thing that steals the peace of a saved person. You know, when I came back from Israel, and I had uh, Monday was sort of, you know, where am I? Okay. And uh, so I had to take my son to school in the morning, and I drove down to school, and I was going to come over to the church. And <clears throat> I went in and got gas in my truck, and I came out, and I seen all this stuff underneath it, the truck, and I thought, what in the heck? So I opened it up, and it's that lime green colored antifreeze, and it's all coming out of a heater hose that you can see that is buried in a place that I, I think they put this heater hose on and then built the truck <laughs> around that heater hose. Okay? All right, guess what my piece was doing? Well, I wasn't doing anything because I was in jet lag and I was sitting there going, huh, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> so I was moved into car lag. What happens? Well, you become anxious. You become, well, Lord, why would I have a leak? I mean, you know, I just spent 10 days in the Holy Land and I was at the Shepherd's Conference and I hung out with John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul and my heater hose is leaking. What's up with that? Why didn't it leak while I was gone and let somebody help my wife? <laughs> That was my true thought. <laughs> then in the process of fixing the heater hose, I broke the bracket that holds my air filter on, and then when I finally got it all back together, I broke the sending unit for the temperature. So you had to take it all apart again and fix it. And I said, I'm learning perseverance and patience, and I'm trying to get the other word, peace. We stop looking at the deep down and changing permanent eternal condition in which we live before an unfailing God. And when I interrupt that peace, I start to base my happiness on the issues of life. And as they change, I become distressed. Looks just like lost people. Okay? So peace, the Lord's peace, that person that God has, that he will infuse himself into, the most magnificent view that you're going to see is his peace. In spite of everything that's going on. The second thing. If I go back to my text out of Thessalonians, it says there that the Lord be with you all. Oh, what the heck does that got to do? Doesn't Paul know that he's omnipresent? Doesn't he know that he laid the stars? Doesn't he know all that stuff? Sure he does. Okay? But he's asking for this. May the Lord of peace always give you peace in all circumstances, and he would be with you all. Why? You ever watch Peter's life? When Peter was close to Jesus Christ, he was amazing, wasn't he? I mean, he, he's willing to, to cut the dude's ear off. Let me tell you something. He wasn't aiming at the ear, okay? He was willing to, I will fight the whole Roman army as long as you're right there, okay? Why? Because if they kill me, you can raise me from the dead, right? I mean, I know how that works, all right? I mean, why did he get out of the boat, well, they had been, you forget that what was going on, what had been going on. They were fighting, rowing in a storm, and weren't getting anywhere. I'd rather go be with Jesus. Right? Get out of the boat. I'm going over there. Why? I've been in storms, and I've been with Christ. Christ is more fun. Right? And so when you see that, and yet when you separate him from Jesus, what does he do? He gets a foot-shaped mouth. Right? He does. All right, but we all do that. So he understood that when he was with Christ, what happened? There's strength. That's why you hear accountability and, and all this stuff that we are trying to, to focus in. Well, we need mentors. Mentors? What the heck is a mentor? 
Okay? We need to be making disciples. You need to be making disciples. You need to be discipled. How do you do that? Well, I'll go into my prayer closet. No, you won't. You ain't going to make no disciples in there. You get out among them. Why? Because when the body of believers is together, guess what we have? Strength. We have strength. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive what? Power. Strength. It's dunamis. It's a dynamo. It's an energy that only continually regenerates itself and grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. That's what he's talking about. It's going to go on. It's going to go on. It's going to go on. Okay? Why? He says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has seized you, but that is common to man. And God is faithful, and He provides a way out that you may stand under the temptation. You have to have strength to see that. You have to have strength to endure that. You have to have strength to go through that. You have to have strength. And how do you get that? From God. How does He minister to you? The body is for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. The strength of Christ that opens the path of escape in the midst of every temptation, trial, test. It's always there. So I need it to fight my flesh. Secondly, I need it to face the devil. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Why? Why? Well, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5 says, We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and power, rulers of darkness in this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, this is the battle that the church is getting her proverbial tail whooped on. Chapter 2, verse 8. Oops. Yeah, right there. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of this world rather than according to Christ. All right, that's a battle. Who are you fighting? The prince of this world. Who is the prince of this world? Satan. Satan. So I need it to fight my flesh. I need his strength to overcome the enemy. I also need it, the third thing, to be faithful and not to defect. What? Absolutely. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. All in Asia have forsaken me. Which ones? All. And then in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, But you, my son, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. The Apostle Paul, writing to church in Colossae, said this, verse 29, chapter 1, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to the power which works mightily within me. So I need it so I don't defect. It works mightily in me. The fourth thing is for worship. For worship. In chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, verse 4, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you assemble with the power of our Lord. You got that? See why I love the church? Why do I love the church? Why? Because when the church comes together, there is this resident strength. It is the strength of Christ. You bring your gifts. I bring my gifts. And when we stand together, we only manifest Christ. And the world either gets really, really mad at you, or they come and say, what must we do? 
He leads us in worship. He deals with our sin. And I hear people who say, well, you know, every time I hear you, man, I'm convicted. Then repent! Gee, many crickets, how difficult is that? I don't understand that. You know, I've been listening to you for years and I'm still convicted. Well, huh. I should change my message. No. Okay, we need strength for perseverance. We need strength for endurance. We need strength. And, I, and I, you know, it goes back to, to your salvation. I see people who fall away. Literally fall away. I have seen men of God preaching the full unadulterated text of God. Walk away from it. Just walk away. I'm done. I don't believe it and I ain't going to. Were they safe? Well, no. Why? Because they felt they could do it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18, The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and bring me swiftly to His heavenly kingdom by His strength, which will bring me to glory. That's how secure you are. I went into Janine. Ooh, I shouldn't tell this. Anyway, I went into Janine. That is a Palestinian stronghold. And it's just a long story. I know that I promised many of you or a few of you that I wouldn't do anything stupid. And it wasn't stupid. It might have been dumb, but it wasn't stupid. Okay? Okay, there's a difference between ignorant and just goofy stupid. And it wasn't goofy stupid. Okay? But anyway, I went into Janine, and, and I met with all these Palestinians. And they, they it was, anyway, it's a long story. But they asked me, the one guy asked me, he says, are you afraid? I said, No. He said, but you're an American, you're in Palestinian territory, you know, where Intifada is going on. And he says, what if I told you I was Hamas? I said, I don't care. I said, my name's Terry. I mean, and, you know, my middle name's James, and it's supposedly tender-hearted and mean person. But, uh, and he says, you do not fear as an American? I said, no. He said, I said, let me tell you something. In my God, I'm immortal until he wants me home. They didn't understand that. And I said, what is, if my king is ready for me to come home and you're going to kill me in Janine, so be it. But he will be glorified. Guess what else? Those who would take my life will give an account to my God. Do you understand that? Why? The Apostle Paul says it. Jude 24, he is able to keep me and to make me stand in his presence, glory and in his glory, blameless. And then he adds this little thing, and with great joy. And <laughs> I'm thinking, great joy? There's one of them understatements in the Bible. I'm going to stand before God in his glory, blameless. And I'm going to have great joy. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Why? His strength is only made perfect in our weakness. Why? You are for the Lord and the Lord is for you. That is your physical body. That is your physical body. It is also, fifthly, faith for evangelism. You cannot evangelize without his strength. You know what? There's still only one soul winner in the universe. And it ain't Billy Graham. Okay? It's Jesus Christ. You can share the gospel. I had the opportunity. You Most of you guys know that I have to work at evangelism, right? It's just it's not my gift. I'm sorry. I, you know, and yet... My bus driver is Arab Israeli, and I shared the gospel with him. In a way, he wasn't used to it. He says, you're not handing me a track. You're not condemning me to hell. He says, and then he asked me to come over and eat, and that's how I ended up in Janine. It's a big old long story. Well, the fact that I knew how to light a nara, 
and I'll, I'll explain that at some other time. He says, he knows how to light that. How do you know? You Aren't you a team? Yeah, don't worry about it. But anyway, and I'll explain it at some other point in life. But anyway, I could do this. And he said, this is fascinating. He says, in you is a love I've never seen. I said, that's cool because I had never seen it either. That is Christ in me, the hope of glory. And he said, I need to take you to my brother. I said, all right, let's go to your brother. He says, he's in Janine. I said, I don't think I'm supposed to go to Janine. He says, that's all right. We go through the Israeli checkpoints, bring your passport. We'll be fine. (laughs) Okay. But anyway, that's another story. I was sharing the gospel. You know, I came back thinking, you know what? These guys are trying to get peace with the Palestinians, and I'm sowing the seeds of Jesus Christ in Janine to the Palestinians. And I met with their elders, and I'll explain that to you. They have elders still, city elders, the rulers. And I met with two of them. It was really cool. Okay, it's still kind of weird going past tanks and machine guns. And you're American, why are you going in there? All right, the Holy Spirit. Remember what he says: when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, what would happen? You will be my witnesses. Where? You know what? I was in Jerusalem and I was his witness. Guess what? I was in Judea and I was his witness. Do you know where Janine is? Samaria. And the outermost reaches of the world, Los Angeles. (laughs) In 12 days, I fulfilled Acts 2. I'm done now. (laughs) And Acts chapter 9, an amazing text. I'll kind of be wrapping this thing up. In Acts 9, verse 22, speaking of our brother Paul. Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus and proving that this Jesus is the Christ. You know why I had the opportunity to share the gospel? Not because I, I, I know eight, what is it? No, that's eight points. No, that's wrong. Yeah, the eight spiritual laws, the Roman roads to where to Hezekiah or whatever. Um, the reason that I did is that it was the power of God in me. I asked him before I got there, and, and even now, I don't understand why I was there. Why was this trip given unto me? I don't know. I mean, out of all the... I can look in this room here, and there are some of you who would be better served to go and do this than what I did. But for whatever reason, I went. Maybe it's because I could light a neuro. I don't know. <laughs> That's, we won't go there. All right. Why was Paul used? Because he kept growing, increasing in strength. Why? Let me tell you something. This, where's he at in this text? In Damascus. I've seen the city of Damascus. I got up. I, those of you who I promised to be good, close your ears. I got up by the edge there where Syria was. I mean, I was sitting on a blowed up tank and I looked down in the valley and right there is the UN people who are the targets. <laughs> and then across the ridge is Damascus. And I guess that's all. I mean, if you're painted white and blue, that's a target. Right beside me, coming up along this side, is the Damascus Road the Apostle Paul walked on. I can look right over the horizon and see the city of Damascus. Right where Paul walked through, right where Jesus Christ came to him. All right? That's amazing stuff. Why? When Jesus Christ approached that man on the road, what did he, when was his backsliding time? There wasn't no backsliding time. He had three years of instruction immersed in Christians and in Christ. 
And then he came out of the gate down the road. Now let me ask you a question. What's the difference between you and him? That's between you and God. Okay, because I got news for you. The Holy Spirit hasn't changed at all. In Acts 18, before the high council, he says, God comes to Paul and says, don't be afraid. Don't be silent. I am with you. You know what the last verse of the Gospel of Mark says? They went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. That's amazing stuff. We have strength to be spiritual to be spiritually full. Uh, Ephesians chapter three verse sixteen. One of my favorite texts of scripture. Where did it go? Ephesians chapter six verse sixteen says this: He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit and the inner man. Why? Why would I want that? Well, because when that happens, um, he will be able to do far more abundantly beyond what you could ask or think according to the power that works with him. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for generations, for all generations forever and ever. Philippians 4, I can do most things through Christ who strengthens me. No, all, all things. All times. And I, I just will wrap this up. Second uh, Thessalonians 3.18. Uh, those of you who will finish up the book of Thessalonians, you'll get the full picture of this. 3.18. Or, whoops, Timothy. 3.18 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Last thing on there, the Lord is for the body is His grace. He's not talking about the grace that saves you. He's talking about the grace decreed by God to give that is given through Jesus Christ. Um, Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 says, I thank God for His grace of putting me into the ministry. Um, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, uh, the truth of Christ and enabling grace for the endurance that is before me. In 2 Peter um, 3.18 Somebody stole Peter. 2 Peter 3.18 He says this. How come I can't go? There's one. There. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever to all the day of eternity. Amen. Why? There's grace to grow, to grow spiritually. There's grace for love, to love 1 Corinthians 13. There's a grace for humility. Even when you're wrong, you can humble thyself before the Lord. There's grace for sacrifice. There's grace for generosity. And these are all seen, if, and I don't want to take up more time. 2 Corinthians verses eight or chapters 8 and 9 deals with all of these are seen in the Macedonians. They were examples of the surpassing grace of God. Why? It's available. There's no limit. And we should be overwhelmed. Okay, let me ask you a question. I'm gonna, I got some things I'll charge you with as we leave. Okay, 
How do I get it? You have this today? Do you have the Lord's peace that everybody looks at you in awe? Can't understand why absolutely nothing affects you and you just cruise through with a, a, I almost quoted a John Prine song. That probably wouldn't work, would it? Um, That you can just move through and the peace of God, that all that he is, all that your soul is completely confident in and, and that he is doing, it is on his time frame. Do you show that? How about the strength of God? When you go forth from this place, will you walk in the strength of God or will you work in your own ideas and abilities? How about the grace of the Lord? Will you stand in that grace? Okay. If you have those, I praise God for you. Here's what's also amazing. If you have those, I know you have those. I have seen them. You can't hide that. Why? That is a manifestation of Jesus Christ, and he's counterculture. If you don't have those, guess what? I know you don't. You look like the culture. Here's how you get it. First and foremost, trust in the Lord. Okay? Psalm 42.11. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Is my hope in you, God? Okay? I just finished a book, an amazing book. It was written at the death of a granddaughter. She was still born at nine months. Perfect baby. When he was there for the delivery, they brought her out. Her birth certificate said born, and her death certificate was issued at the same time. Perfect baby. He says everything was in that child except life. And so he wrote a book. Does all things work to our glory? Okay. And one of the phrases that just smacked me right between the running lights was, what is God's intent? Whatever you're dealing with today, all you have to do is bow your your knee to him and say, God, what is your intent? Okay, do I trust him? Okay, if I've been robbed of peace, if I've been robbed of power, if I've been robbed of his grace, and understand this, if you haven't got peace, you don't have to worry about the other two. Have you forgotten who God is? Okay, secondly, Leviticus chapter... 26 verse 6 keep my statutes and obey my commandments and I will give you peace out of peace will come his strength out of his strength will be you will manifest his grace see you've got to have peace first if you don't have that overwhelming confidence in the inner man that God is in this place okay you ever thought about it we like to Baptists like to run around and say you know what I'm indwelled by the Holy Spirit you know what God is not in that place I've seen some Baptists They may say they're indwelled, but I'm thinking God left and turned the light off. Because a person who's indwelt by the person of God stands out in a culture that is wicked and as evil as ours is this day. Why? They have peace. I am not concerned about whether a Democrat or a Republican is in the White House. I am not even concerned about the Supreme Court or the federal court. I could care less. It is of no bother to me because God puts them in and God takes them out. And you know what's cool? Every once in a while, he'll put one in and then he'll turn him into a wild animal and make him go graze and act like a cow. And I like it when he does that too. Keep his statutes. Obey what he says. That's my three-legged stool. Everybody remember my stool? Okay. One is the word, 
So milk and stool, if you didn't get it, you have to get the take. Milk and stool, one is the word, the church, prayer. Or prayer, the word, the church. Or the word, prayer, church. Or, but you can't take two out of three. If you're not doing all three, uh, as soon as something hits you, you fall over and we all go, huh, fell off the stool. Okay? Thirdly, accept the chastening of God with joy. Okay? Job 5.17. How happy is the man whom the Lord reproves. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? When the God is chastening me, I'm happy about it. Okay, well it is. In verse 24 of that same text it says, because his tent will only be secure in God. If you think about a tent out in the middle of some of the places that I was at, I'm thinking that's nasty, but it will be secure. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it's fruit of the Spirit. This is the fourth thing, fruit of the Spirit. How do I get fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. Okay, how do I get that? Walk in the Spirit. If I walk in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the flesh. 6.16 of Galatians says, All who walk by this rule, peace and mercy will be upon them. What rule is that? Well, the whole book is dealing with the fact of legalism. Instead of legalistically saying, "I'm going to, here, okay, these are the do's and here's the don'ts, and I'm going to do them because I know that if he doesn't, I'm going to get chastened. No, I do it because my, I, I have a longing and a loving of God from my heart. And if I love God from my heart, I'm not working out my Christian life legalistically. I'm doing it from the depth of my heart. What will happen? Peace will be restored. Strength will be restored. Grace will be restored. Fifthly, prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says we are to pray. Most of the time, without ceasing. You want peace in your life? Make war with sin. How do I do that? God searched my heart and showed me my depravity. How do you do that? Prayer. I pray. I pray. 3.15 of, uh, of uh, Colossians. Let the peace of Christ do what? Rule your heart. What does that mean? It has dominion. It has taken the throne. He's in control. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6.13b. The Lord is for the body. Christ is seen. We say that we serve a risen God. We sing the little song because he's seen in me. Is he? Do I learn to trust God in everything? No, 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 no. Don't say yes because the trust in God for everything is give me this day my daily bread. And I know no one in here has stepped into that place yet. We all go, you want whole wheat, pumpernickel, sourdough? What I'm buying. Trust in the Lord for everything. Turn from your sin and walk in obedience like John said. Endure his chastening, reproving, refining, knowing that it's only going to perfect you. Walk in the Spirit. Let your commitment to the Lord come inside with an overwhelming love for Jesus Christ. Uh, most, some of you have read that book, Desiring God by John Piper. Okay? God is most glorified in us when we, he, we are most satisfied in him. I see some of you today who are not satisfied in God. 
guess what? He ain't glorified in you. He ain't glorified in you. Live by the word of God. Be mastered by it. Pray, seek peace. This is the only way that you'll be restored. It's the only way, sorry. But it all starts with that peace first. Christ in me and me in Christ. That's counterculture. I guarantee you, you will literally upset the world system. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that, pray that my brothers and my sisters heard from you. You gave them. I know that it went forth and accomplished exactly what you said it for. Father, thank you for the time you gave me to search and to wrestle. Father, thank you for the chastening. Father, thank you for breaking me. Father, thank you for opening so much to my eyes, to my heart, to my soul. Father, thank you for these precious people. But Father, I beg you now that you take each and every one of them, young and old, and Father, that you, by the power of your Spirit and your people, will manifest the Lord Jesus Christ in every single one of them. And it will be with joy and praises on our lips as we are the earthen vessels. Father, I don't want to be a cistern. I want to be a clay pot. Father, I beg you that these people would not want to be a cistern, but would be a clay pot. And if it be your will to shatter us on the ground so all would spill forth, we will give you the praise and glory to you and you alone. In Christ, amen.